Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. A single appearance on the right television show can change a life. That's exactly what happened with Chef Ann Liu when the crew from Queer Eye showed up in New Orleans to meet her. For such a young person, her journey has been a long and difficult one, but now she's on track to touch the stars. She's here to tell us all about it. And chef and YouTube star Toya Bodie explains the strategy she used when making her rounds on cooking competition shows. Toya describes her life and mission and tells us about her first cookbook, Cooking for the Culture. Recipes and stories from the streets of New Orleans to the table. We're meeting local chefs who've stepped into the national spotlight on this week's Louisiana Eats. New Orleans chef Anne Liu is well-known locally for her signature Viet Cajun menus, melding together the flavors of Southeast Asia and her native Louisiana. In January, the whole country got to know Anne when she was featured on Season 8 of the Emmy Award-winning Netflix series, Queer Eye. I can tell that Anne is not feeling as gorgeous as she could, inside or outside. Ah. Release your job. Release your vibe. <laughs> Release your vibe. There it goes. She doesn't really like to nurture herself, so we got to drum up the gorgeousity. Chef Anne has been working tirelessly to pursue her culinary dreams since she was a teenager. Displaced to Portland, Oregon after Hurricane Katrina, Anne first made a name for herself, serving up flavors from back home at her restaurant, Tapalaya. In 2020, she returned to New Orleans and helped open Bywater Brew Pub, where she served as executive chef before striking out on her own last year. We spoke with Anne just after production wrapped on Queer Eye, and now that her episode is out in the world, we can share our full interview with you. Anne began by discussing her childhood in New Orleans, growing up in a family who emigrated to the U.S. from Vietnam seven years before she was born at Charity Hospital. Oh, my childhood was wonderful. Um, I grew up with two siblings. They were much older than me. Uh, my brother was 10 years older than me, and my sister was 15. I was the baby, so it was, they were grown up by the time I was, like, in middle school and high school. Um, but I grew up with my cousins who um, – it was my dad's younger sister. My family and their family came over from Vietnam together. So it was really a lot of, you know, kids. We had a pool. My uncle was a fisherman. He brought seafood over every weekend. We would have barbecues, 
And my mom would make incredible food. She cooked us dinner from scratch every single night. I feel like a lot of my cooking career has been infused by her just memories of cooking. Like she was always working on something, no matter what time of day it was. It was like she would spend all day making lunch and then making dinner and she would be the first to wake up and make breakfast and she was always working on some kind of project like something that she didn't normally make but decided to have a hand at it you know <laughs> well you know your mom being from Vietnam and mm-hmm. being here in Louisiana was she starting to do a little Viet Cajun thing on her own yeah um, just living here she didn't stop cooking the food of her country, but um, she really took to loving um, red beans and rice and gumbo. She loved, those were her two favorite Cajun dishes. Um, but, you know, she would use what what she had in her kitchen for salt flavoring or, you know, like we would use fish sauce instead of salt, or we would use lime instead of lemon, or we would use a lot more ginger if we didn't have any garlic or something. Like, it was a lot of substitutions that come naturally to me now, but just kind of happened around me when I was growing up, you know, and I I didn't realize how much of it I had infused in myself. You knew from a very early age Mm -hmm. that this is what you wanted to do. And you started working in New Orleans restaurants when you were just 15. Yeah. It was a restaurant called Vaqueros. Um, I worked at the one on Metairie Road. Um, It was... Gosh, it was a different time back then. I don't think high school kids could do what I was doing when I was in high school. I had a car. I drove myself to work. I was a line cook at Vaqueros when I was a junior in high school. And then once you were in that kitchen, you felt at home and you knew you were in the right place? Um, You know, not, not right away. It's really hard to learn how to work in a kitchen, especially if you're a, a teenager. I was a little girl, and there were, like, old, gruff men working the line, you know? And they were like, I don't want to work with this little girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I was in high school. I was, like, waking up to go to high school every day, too, and working the line and closing the kitchen at night. And then, like, going to the bar next door and eating a baked potato after work. Oscars. Woo. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And then I moved on to pizza making at the Cafe Roma (laughs) and managing when I was like 20. I was like managing a pizza place. Um, And then for the last few years before I moved to Portland, I was working at Giacomo's and Krabby Jack's in the front of the house and kind of earning some money to move away that way. What an interesting path that that is. And it was. <laughs> so your family goes on to Portland, but yeah. you come back to New Orleans? Mm-hmm. Well, 19 is when Katrina hit. And then I didn't move to Portland until I was like, I want to say 22. I wasn't ready to leave the city or be be in another city yet. I wasn't done. I was, you know, working in restaurants and stuff when the hurricane hit. And I... When you're from here and you're born here, it's just you wear it like a badge of honor. And I wasn't going to just leave. I don't know. I, I I had to try to make it work here for a little bit. And it was great. I, I, I spent a year at Louisiana Tech. And then I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I, I need to go back to New Orleans. 
I had fun while it lasted, but it was not a place for me. It was very um, homogenous, uh-huh. and I was probably the only Asian person. No, one of like two Asian people in the whole university. Huh. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I got to get out of here and go yeah. back home and just feel like I was at home. And, you know, now that I think about it, there was a lot of struggle to feel at home for a long time, even after I'd moved to Portland and settled. I mean, it took me like years to be feeling like it was home, you know? It's really, yeah. um, it was so unsettling. And I, I can only imagine how unsettling it must have been for your parents mm-hmm. because they fled Vietnam and came here and made a good life for themselves. And then they had yeah. to flee again. It was tough. My dad was already kind of of retirement age and the shop that I grew up in, my dad owned a TV repair shop out on Chef Highway for, gosh, a long time, up until 2005. Um, they had it before I was born in 86. So they had it for a long time. And uh, I, he he would have, like, if, if that storm didn't happen, he would have stayed working in that until, like, his hands didn't work anymore, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, good that that he stopped. Um, but I mean, we lived there for the first few years of my life above the business in like a two bedroom little apartment. And my mom would still cook lunch for my dad and his employees on a daily basis in this like makeshift kitchen she made herself in the back. (laughs) Yeah. With like propane tanks and grills and stuff. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So yeah, I just, I, I, cooking was so a part of like how I grew up. I was always around it. And I really, I, I don't know what came over me in high school, but I was like, I want to cook. I don't know why. (laughs) In 2009, Anne joined her family in Portland, where she spent the next 12 years working her way up the culinary ranks to become executive chef at Tapalaya. Anne was on top of the world and making plans to buy the business when tragedy struck. Her mother was killed suddenly in a car accident in 2017. It was a shock. Oh, it was so shocking. It was three days before I bought the restaurant in Portland, like suddenly. And, you know, like all throughout my life, that's why I believe in spirits and juju and stuff is because nothing always happens by itself. It's got to be a combo. It's got to be like a one, two or even a three punch, you know. It's like I couldn't have just, I don't know been able to grieve. I had to like jump into this restaurant right away. And then it was like, what am I doing? After almost three years of owning this restaurant, it was like two and a half when I closed it after I I bought it. It had been open for a total of 11 years, I guess. And I worked there for most of it. And it was heartbreaking when it closed because we weren't we weren't necessarily failing. We were I was just tap I was tapped out. I was doing everything. And I couldn't do it anymore. I was physically and mentally unwell. I was having like panic attacks all the time. Chain, lots of chain smoking. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> don't smoke cigarettes anymore. But there was a lot of times where I just wanted to be home here in New Orleans. My I, mom always wanted to move back here, like after living in Portland for a while, and so I felt it was. That was a big reason why I came back home. It was for her. After she passed away, it was like, I need to go be in her favorite place and 
heal myself. <laughs> so you came specifically for Bywater Brew Pub and to come home. Yeah. Well, I, I knew I wanted to move home, so I found this job well before I moved home. So I was actually hired um, in the summer of 2019, and I designed the layout of the kitchen. I was involved with those ideas in the build-out stage, and I got a lot of time at home to recipe test and really hone in on a good opening menu, and it was fabulous. We, we, had, we were very well received when we opened. Soon, business started booming. Diners fell in love with Anne's inventive menus, which included her forita, pho ingredients wrapped in a flour tortilla, and a crawfish cream sauce over grits. How do you come up with these ideas? Oh, gosh. I, it almost always is connected with a memory from childhood or fl- a flavor. I feel like I can still taste what my mom used to make me, like... If I tasted it, it's like comes right back to me and it's the exact flavor. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but I have a lot of vivid taste memories, if that makes sense. Um, and I just I I test a lot and I make it over and I make people taste it. And we we do it over and over until, you know, we think of how to make it better. been speaking with New Orleans chef Ann Liu. Coming up next, our conversation with Ann continues as we learn about her life-changing experience on the newest season of Queer Eye. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce. Step out of the heat and into the flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood, straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Camellia's latest innovation makes life easy for today's smaller households. Beans for two. If a bag of beans is too big for your family, Camellia's New Orleans-style red beans for two and Cajun-style white beans for two has everything needed for dinner in today's smaller households. Learn more at CamelliaBrand.com.
For those of you just joining us, we've been speaking with Chef Anne Liu, whose menus combine the flavors of her native New Orleans and her family's Vietnamese homeland. In the summer of 2022, Anne took part in the shooting of the eighth season of the Netflix series Queer Eye, shot in New Orleans. The show, which is a reboot of the original Bravo series, stars five style specialists who bring glamour and advice to an ordinary person, or the hero in each episode. Anne was featured as a hero and got a new look for her hair, her clothes, and her home. The episode culminates in a beautiful pop-up dinner at Bywater Brew Pub, where she shows off her new look and showcases dishes that honor her late mother's memory. Thank you for coming to this very special dinner of mine. I want to share with you a little bit of how I dined on a daily basis growing up. We spoke with Anne shortly after filming wrapped on the episode. And Lou, mm-hmm. you and I met because I got invited to a very special event. Could you tell me a little bit about the Queer Eye guys and uh, <laughs> what's coming on TV? Oh, gosh. So I was on Queer Eye. <laughs> I got uh, one of those makeovers. Um, it was a wild experience. It was incredible. It was life-changing. Um, it was authentic. I felt like it truly was reality, um, except for you know, little things here and there. Like, it was definitely not scripted. And I was pretty much kept in the dark about most things they were trying to get me to do. So all of my reactions on the camera, I thought, were pretty authentic throughout. Um, And then my kind of event that I had at the end of my week was this dinner that you came to. And this dinner was uh, dedicated to my mom, and it was a Vietnamese family style. I probably picked the dishes that most represent home-cooked Vietnamese food to me, Um, comfort in a bowl. And it was kind of thrown together because I was also getting a lifestyle makeover at the same time as cooking this dinner. (laughs) But uh, I made it happen somehow. And it was delicious. (laughs) Thank you. So walk me through some of the things the Queer Eye guys changed about you and your lifestyle. Well, um, the home makeover definitely helped. Um, Being in a completely different landscape at your own home is a mindset change as well. That really put my future in perspective for me because I've sort of struggled as a chef to see past like how much work I have to do (laughs) because I'm so tired when I get off and then I kind of just want to rest instead of, you know, I'm just I'm just not that young anymore, Poppy. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> I'm 36. That sounds young on paper, but my body is not 36. It's been working for, in a kitchen for over 20 years now. My chef life was why I was chosen to like be on the show. I put my career before anything about myself, really. I 
didn't wear makeup regularly. I didn't really care what my hair looked like. Anne doesn't remember the last time she got a haircut. So she wears her hair pulled back every day. It keeps it out of the soup. It's good business practice. <laughs> I definitely have more of a grooming routine now because, oh my gosh, they gave me all these products and you don't realize that fancy shampoo is so expensive because it works really good. Like ah. you just need a couple pumps and your whole head is soapy and it's not like watered down like the stuff you buy at the grocery store. Amazing. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know. They just, they made me see myself again. I was hiding from myself and from the world for so long. I didn't. I didn't remember how to be me and I w this version of me used to exist like before I bought a restaurant, before my mother died. You know, I always miss the girl that I used to be like in my head, but I, I mean, she was always there. I just was hiding her, you know, and, and that show really made me see myself again and made me realize that I need to prioritize myself or none of anything else that I do would happen. Some of the most meaningful stops on Anne's Queer Eye journey didn't make the final cut. The Fab Five organized several opportunities for Anne to work through her ongoing grief over her mother's death. They set me up with a medium. Oh, really? To communicate with my mother's spirit. I had no idea it was happening until it happened. And I was kind of skeptical because I've never been to a medium before. And you know what? She was real. She was, she was real. She knew things. And I don't know. Like, I guess if you were super skeptical, you could have been like, she could have looked you up. But the producers of the show told me that they only told her my first name and that I had lost someone and they didn't say anything else. And this woman immediately knew that my mother's initials like, the first words out of her mouth was, I'm getting the initials TT. Does it mean anything to you? And we, my mother and I did not have the same last name because Vietnamese women don't take the last names of their husband. And the only reason why her last name was my last name, like, on paper, was because the immigration people changed her last name to my dad's last name because they assumed. And she didn't speak English, so she couldn't tell them that wasn't her last name. <laughs> so this lady would have no way of looking up what my mother's name was, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was incredible. How did that experience leave you? Do you have a sense that your mother is with you that you didn't have before? Yes, I I did because, like, ever since she died, so she passed away at 4 a.m., and that is, like, the witching hour for me. My body rises between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m. every day, no matter what time I have gone to bed. And so she mentioned this time. She was like, your mother's with you when you're up in the middle of the night like that. Talk to her. She was like, talk to her out loud. <laughs> she like told me to do that. Wow. I know it was wild. And she also told me that my mother was going to be watching me through the birds. And I didn't really know what that meant until the very next day. It was pretty eerie what happened. Um, so the next day, Karamo has arranged for a FaceTime conversation with my father, who is currently in Vietnam, 
with his new wife. Well, not new anymore. That was a while ago now. But there was a bunch of drama around that. And we were not on the best of terms. And he took me to a park bench. And we had the conversation with my father. And sort of at the height of our conversation, it got emotional, a bird came and landed like right in front of me, like looking at us. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden we realized all the birds were right there looking at us. And it made me reflect for sure. I'm pretty much like bawling crying with every single person on that show. So I'll have to watch this by myself first before we have a viewing party. What nice guys they oh, are. They are huh? so sweet. Um, I see why the show is such a big hit. They're really all very good at their jobs. Well, bravo. Yeah. Bravo, Anne. Thank I you. am so happy for you, and I just can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. It's been, I, I'm planning a lot of stuff, and I'm excited to get back in the direction of my cooking that I want to go and give myself a little a little break from the kitchen. <laughs> that was Chef Anne Liu. Since we spoke in 2022, Anne has struck out on her own. She's now doing private dinners, pop-ups, restaurant consulting, and private cooking classes in New Orleans. For more details, visit Chef Anne. That's Chef A N H dot com. You can catch her in the newest season of Queer Eye, now streaming on Netflix. Coming up next, we speak with New Orleans chef and YouTube star Toya Bodie, author of Cooking for the Culture. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Blue Plate Mayonnaise, the beloved secret ingredient of Louisiana kitchens for over 90 years. Blue Plate's rich creamy mayo is crafted from their timeless recipe. Just oil, vinegar, and only the egg yolks. Blue Plate mayo, that's the good stuff. And from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish. Fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more, Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from Visit the North Shore, discover world-class culinary flavors on Louisiana's North Shore. Experience the bounty of the bayou and rich culture from award-winning chefs, soulful mom-and-pop restaurants, extraordinary bakers, and creative mixologists. 
To learn more, request the Explore the North Shore Visitor Guide for inspirational stories, custom itineraries, and event information at visitthenorthshore.com. St. Tammany Parish, Louisiana's easy escape, just 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter. I'm Toya Bodie, and my book is Cooking for the Culture. It's a cookbook slash memoir about my life and journey through food, the streets of New Orleans, and this world of the arts. Like many native New Orleanians, Toya Bodie began cooking in her mother's kitchen as a small child. But her destiny was set when she began selling her culinary creations at age 15. Specializing in traditional Creole fare, often with her own twist, Toya eventually started a successful catering company, created her own YouTube channel, and set her sights on the myriad cooking show competitions that could potentially propel a chef to new heights. She appeared on Guy's Grocery Games, TLC, and the Food Network. She was crowned Best Home Cook by Hallmark's Home and Family Channel and was named an ambassador for the New Orleans Multicultural Tourism Network. She's also published her first cookbook, Cooking for the Culture, Recipes and Stories from the Streets of New Orleans to the Table. Toya, I love your new book. I love everything that comes around it. I want to know who you and your people are in this world and what you have come out of to present yourself because you're presenting us and our culture to the world right now. Mm-hmm. And that is a very serious job yeah. for any of us who love New Orleans, like mm-hmm. I know you and I both do. Mm-hmm. My people are the ones who are normally cast to the side, like the misfits. You know, I was textbook. I I even said it in a book that I got put out of preschool. It didn't stop there. I kept getting in trouble and suspended, expelled, and teenage pregnancies. You know, I realized that the people that I gelled with well, we kind of like give like a little head nod to each other on a path, and we're like, man, they really thought we wasn't going to turn out right. You know, (laughs) It's, it's those people that knew how to bounce back. That's the people that I represent, the comeback kids. Well, you did have an incredible advantage, I think, in your parents. Mm-hmm. A lot of the environment that I was around was really enriched with both of my parents being from uptown, was really enriched in the culture and the colloquialisms in the home. So even though I was sequestered a lot, like by being punished and stuff from grades in school and suspensions, you know, I was always around my mother. She took everything out of my room and she left a record player. And I had lots of records. My daddy, he has original 
anything you could name, he has the original copy. Like when he saw that I put these plants, uh, I have a lot of 40 something big plants in my house. And he gave me the original copy of the Stevie Wonder album, The Secret Life of Plants. So like he like that kind of rare stuff was around me all of the time. But um, I think all of that helped padded my mentality and imagination to survive all the things that I went through. Tell us about the luxury of commodity foods. Ooh, For the, people who don't understand what a commodity box is, would you just demystify that a little bit? Yeah, the government is it's basically like almost like another version of assistance, kind of like food stamps. And you get cheese, you get beans, you get dry milk, you get canned goods, peanut butter, that kind of stuff, rice, what it does is develops a mindset that, you know, even when you think you have nothing, you have a lot. Like someone who isn't, you know, in tune with the kitchen or someone who hasn't lived through poverty would look at that box and say, how dare the government or somebody just give you this box? And it's like, man, do you know what's inside that box? Do you know what's going to happen when I break down them <laughs> them split peas? Or Well, tell me you know, some of the magic soup? that you pulled out of those commodity boxes. Number one, the the peanut butter cookies. When I looked at the can and I saw the ingredients and I said, oh, I got this, I got that, Psh, I'm about to make this right now. Like, you know, so my parents were at work and stuff like that or either sleeping. And um, I made those cookies and I'm telling you, just, you know how you grab the cookie off the pan and you kind of doing like this with your hand, uh-huh. hopping it from one to another and then you put it in your mouth and the steam coming out your mouth and you just like, even though it's burning your mouth, you're still like filled with joy because you got it done. And that completion, and that's what I always tell people when I teach them stuff about food. And they're like, well, man, why would you start me off with making a roux? Easy. Because I want you to find out that you can do it. I want you to find out what that success feels like. And when you feel that success, ain't no stopping. Well, I just loved, though, that (laughs) you, the person who has found such success on food TV in various forms, You you got your very first cooking job basically by auditioning. You've Man. been auditioning from day one. Tell me about that. I knew how to survive from my parents, you know. I, I, I knew how to survive. I knew how to, like, how could I? It was an entrepreneurial almost spirit that they had, like, well, we got to get it, right? I had this thing where I used to like to basically copy whatever I saw on a frozen meal, and I would taste it and cook it by taste and cook it until it came out looking like the image that I saw. And I got those plates and I wrapped them up and I walked them down the street. I bought one to one store. He kind of looked at me. I had a feeling he was going to kind of say no, but I, I still felt good about it. Then I went to the next store, which was actually the beginning of the store franchise Brothers. Oh, how crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, what a coincidence. I think I, I think it truly didn't dawn on me what I was doing at that age because I kind of survived it until I had to write it. And I was like, girl, I cannot believe you were catering at 15. And they let you do it. Like, <laughs> who let you behind that big? Like, you know, I mean. It was wild. It is it was wild crazy. that they let you do that. And I was you, good at it, too. And you were making money. Mm -hmm. And you were 15, and you get pregnant. Yeah, man. Like, that enough right there, it's train wrecked a lot of people's lives. Yeah. 
In fact, it turned out it was a gift. Oh, was it? it a gift? After all, her name is Heaven. How can when is Heaven not a gift? <laughs> it was such. It was exactly. She lived up to her name exactly just by existing in this world. Like, you know, I say this often that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her because I definitely was. I was on the exact track to hurting myself because I was just. I just didn't see the purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I just couldn't get anything right. Like, that's why I tried to paint the picture in the story. Like, could you imagine this, 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 and this? Right. It's the perfect storm for self-hatred, self-mutilation, destruction. You know what I'm saying? Drugs and alcohol. Yes, all of it. So many people go that route. And so many people are dying on that route as we sit here today. Mm -hmm makes your job even more important. What you're doing is everything for this Mm -hmm. city. It truly is, and this world. Mm -hmm. I really wanted, I really, and my mother, she she read the book and she said, oh girl, you telling all your business, you know? (laughs) And I said, you know, I, I exposed everything because I felt like it was important for you not to look at my anatomy and think, oh, that was just easy. Oh, that was just because of this. No, I need you to see that I truly am a rose that grew from the concrete. That's it. You could do it too, you know? Toya's life has expanded exponentially since then. For the last decade, she's been joined on her journey by her husband, Chris, and together they set out to tackle the world. The world of cooking competition shows, that is. She came out swinging and didn't let an initial failure stop her. In fact, not getting to cook with Gordon Ramsay propelled her to set a much bigger goal. So was it after the Hell's Kitchen disappointment that you thought, because that was really the first TV thing that you went out for all full-fledged, huh? In, in culinary, yeah. Yeah. You know, before I had done tons of auditions and done stuff with, like, with acting and even being in stage plays. So I knew that I could land stuff, you know. But with that, I thought I had it. And, honey, that was the... I don't think I would have made it because I knew deep down when they were going to change, when they kept saying, so what are you going to do if he gets in your face? And I said, "Uh, nothing. I mean, I'm not messing up my opportunity over an attitude. Like, they kept wanting me to be extra, and I'm not going to give you the mad black woman because I'm not. (laughs) I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm not mad. (laughs) So was that when you and Chris decided – well, heck with Gordon Ramsay. We're mm-hmm. just going to have our own channel. Is that how it happened? That's that's kind of how it happened. After I was depressed <laughs> for a while, I walked out the room and I told Chris, I said, I'm going to start my own show. I'm not waiting for anybody to give me anything. And then he said, okay. And that's kind of how our relationship is. I said, Let's, I'm about to climb this mountain. Okay. <laughs> and then he finds out the layout and then we map it out and we do it. Welcome back to Cooking with Toya Bodie. Again, we have a wonderful meal that I hope to help you impress your guests. I'm talking a holiday, knock your grandma's socks off, if she's wearing socks, whatever, I don't know. So that turned out to be a brilliant thing. Mm-hmm. Cause, it did. You know, you had like, what, 5,000 people 
watching at mm-hmm. one time, but it got you the notice that you'd been looking for. Mm-hmm. What happens next? I just started randomly getting calls or emails from different casting producers and stuff like that that want me to come compete in the show. And, you know, I looked at a few of them. And before, I didn't just jump into the television world like that. I studied. You know, I studied shows. I studied the track record of the people who won the show. That's why when I went on Food Network Star, I went on Food Network Star thinking that, I do not want to win because the track record of the winner is not good. I was gunning for as seen on. When you look back at some of the shows I've been on, some of those people, you don't really hear from them again because, you know, the show almost devours them in a sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. They spin them wrong. You got to watch your sound bites. My daddy taught me how to play chess, and that's how I handled the entertainment business. Tell me about (laughs) the good TV experiences that you have had and the places you've gone and what they've done. It was my very first good experience that set the tone for the type of culture I want on a set. And that was Guy's Grocery Games. Then we've got Toya Bowdy, a New Orleans Renaissance chef who teaches the secrets of Creole and Cajun cuisine. We have a rule about having better hair on the show than me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Guy Fieri. Ooh, honey. When I tell you that was a smooth ride, not only was it a smooth ride, he was kind, the staff, you can see the staff relationships. And I'm a big person that that thinks of the culture of an environment, like how is everyone working from top to bottom? You know, like how, how are things ran? And I paid attention to a lot of stuff, remembered a lot of names, that kind of thing, you know? But then by the time I got to Hallmark, it was it was a mind-blowing experience. Guys, grocery games, that gave me the culture. And then Hallmark gave me the flow. It's always so much fun when you're here. You just yeah, bring a smile everywhere you go, Toya. Yeah, man, I have to keep it in my back pocket. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you are flipping the narrative on the cover of this book with your beautiful strong <laughs> arm, your beautiful blue ink, and your beautiful piece of jewelry, and that piece of watermelon you just take a bite out of that you can see. What's the message? I'm taking it back. There's there's no other way you can give it. It doesn't matter if you can bring up all the cartoon characters. You can say all of the the slangs that have been said in the past about watermelon with black people and stuff. All the what, pejorative, horrible whatever, stuff. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm taking it back. There's other sides to that mountain, you know? A mountain just doesn't have one way to get up to the peak. So now I'm almost like a, how a squirrel spins a nut. That's what I did with it. I said, I'm going to change it. And I'm I'm not going to let you make me feel a way about it. Like a watermelon, that's majestic. It comes from Africa, grows up into 85% sand. You know, my mother, she was sitting in the hospital bed, and I was explaining to her what the cover was going to look like. And she said, no, no, Toya. And I said, no, no, Mom, let me explain to you. And I explained how... They studied the land. They studied the people before they took the people from Africa. And one of the things they wanted to take was watermelon because it could hydrate you. 
and feed you at the same time the benefits, you know? And I said, when I said the 85% sand, she stopped and she said, now this is a woman who dealt with segregation, my being with my daddy, he got egged outside the projects, like all of that. And she said, I wonder how rich that soil has to be. See, now the narrative is switched. Because when most people naturally think of Africa, you think about, oh, that's where we were taken from. Oh, that's where that's where this happened. That's where that happened. But now I'm telling you, look what came from it. And you, you sum it all together in the perfect dish of fried chicken and watermelon jam sandwich. Yes, indeed. Brilliant. Thank Just you. Just brilliant. But, you know, there's so much more. It's... Very rare that somebody tells the story about, or much less gives a recipe for eggs and rice. Eggs Come and on rice now. are so Come important. On now. And if the, you're not from New Orleans, you don't seem to Mm-mm. know it. Nope, nope. And you know, the lady down the street from my mom's house said, I took my mom to the doctor today. And the lady down the street, she yelled and she said, I saw that eggs and rice recipe in a book. And it makes people instantly feel like, oh, I wanted New Orleanians to see something real. It's not that we don't want change. It's just that those things are almost like heirlooms passed down. It's bigger than a recipe. Yeah, it is. It's a culture. Mm-hmm. And that's just what you're cooking in your book. Mm-hmm. So, And you tell the stories and demystify things that lots of folks right. might not have a grasp or knowledge of right fish plates card games and rent parties get your money up get your money up nobody's <laughs> ever put that in a book before i know i know i love it i i said man what i'm gonna i told the agent when we started getting turned down i said look girl let me tell you something this is this is gonna be some blackness happening in this book and it's gonna be some culture in here so get ready but Somebody's going to grab it. People are going to feel seen, and they're going to love it. Well, everybody better get their money up and Mm -hmm. rush right out for a copy (laughs) of Cooking for the Culture because this is an investment in New Orleans culture that is desperately needed in the world today. So thanks for doing what you're doing so beautifully. I appreciate that. I I really take that to heart because I put a lot of myself— a big chunk of myself in that book because I just wanted people in New Orleans to feel like they can be who they are, their diction, colloquialisms, and everything, and just show up with the work and then get paid. Thank you, Toya. Thank you. That was Chef Toya Bodie. Her book is Cooking for the Culture, Recipes and Stories from the Streets of New Orleans to the Table. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. 
Meet and Mingle with Louisiana's Best Chefs, April 8th at the Lakefront Airport, when the American Culinary Federation of New Orleans hosts their 10th anniversary gala. Emceed by Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungasser and Chef Kevin Belton, the evening includes a tasting menu prepared by both Louisiana's most well-seasoned and rising chefs with entertainment from the Yat Pack. Proceeds support culinary scholarships for future culinarians. For tickets and more information, visit acfno.org. Louisiana Eats welcomes our new major sponsor, Blue Plate Mayonnaise. When your poor boys, potato salads, and rumelade need that authentic New Orleans flavor, Blue Plate Mayo, that's the good stuff. And big thanks to our returning flagship sponsor, Dickie Brennan and Company. Happy hours back, Tuesday through Friday, 4 till 6 p.m. at the Black Duck Bar, upstairs at Dickie Brennan's Palace Cafe on Canal Street. With live music, a new oyster bar featuring crudo and other cold seafood selections, and as always, the largest rum selection in the South. Dickie Brennan's Palace Cafe serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner Tuesday through Sunday weekly with jazz brunch on weekends. Louisiana Eats is also made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, Visit the North Shore, and Camellia Beans, celebrating their innovative new product, Beans for Two. Camellia's new Red Beans for Two and White Beans for Two include everything needed to cook two authentically seasoned bowls of beans scaled for today's smaller households. Learn more at CamelliaBrand.com. And from D'Agostino Pasta, celebrating our culture with fleur-de-lis, crawfish, and alligator-shaped pastas. All handcrafted in Louisiana, just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb with writing contributions from Becky Retz, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.